A doctor came out. He did do much, did he? Kino. We will have immediate facility compliance or we will begin activating floors without warning. Chief, floor! What's going on? The doctor told us what happened down on two. It's true, isn't it? They fried the whole bridge. It's worse than that. It's why. He said they'd made a mistake and sent back a man who'd just been released. They fried two ships to keep it quiet. You heard him say this. No one is getting out! We're approaching 200 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge where we select order and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Denver is the Daniel Mothershed, actor, playwright, and pop culture enthusiast. That's true. This is the sound of my voice. Mothershed, we don't do this very often, where we just say, we need to record on this. True? Uh, spontaneously? Am I wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's true. We put this plan together, what, like 30 hours ago? We were just going to do a part one and part two, but the arc just released for Andor was so good. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for the quality of this. These sets are amazing. The music, the Nicholas Brettel music, he shows up. He he gets the he gets the feeling of Star Wars. What the music is meant to feel like and then also make you feel. I think he gets I'm going to say maybe better than some of the other guys doing Star Wars music right now. I've loved it. Just it captured every time the logo comes up. I feel emotional in a way that I suppose others haven't. And then there are some themes that run through that are just on second, third listening. You're just like, man, that's, that's really quality. Yeah. And just when you think about what the scoring of film or television is meant to do, this just does it so beautifully. Like it, it, I've been so anxious, particularly in episodes, well, a lot of these episodes, and I've talked about that, but particularly in episodes 9 and 10, and it is it is the music, and then at times the lack thereof, but it just, it's masterful. Yeah, agreed. Alongside that, the music con- contributes so much to the pacing, which I think has, they've done such a great job of, we talked about this in our first episode, but those first two episodes are kind of a slow burn to just get you in the mood and groove and really feel the pain and tension. And yeah. and then that third episode of each of these arcs just shifts. And a huge part of that shift is the editing, the real quick cuts, and a lot of heightened music. That uh, I mean, it's on the Spotify now, uh, the first eight episodes. And mm-hmm. just been loving going through that. Yeah, the, the soundtrack is top-notch. And then just aided, just only aids the the brilliant writing and and how gorgeous the show looks. And I know we said this in the last episode, but just as, just this is some of the best cast ever assembled in a Star Wars yep. movie. I kept saying that out loud to no one in my apartment <laughs> when I was watching nine and ten. Just like everybody's so good, everybody's so good, and and everybody gets these gorgeous moments throughout this arc of four episodes to. To sh- like Fiona Shaw has a beautiful moment in in seven, and then uh, Stellan Skarsgård's moment at the end of episode ten when he's on that bridge. I Seriously. I just kept I, that was the one where I really just said this is unbelievably good. It's just I, it's brilliant storytelling and beautiful beautiful acting. Everybody's on point. Such a contrast. I hate to say it with 
some of the other stuff that they've released this year. Specifically, you had great actors in Book of Boba Fett who just didn't just didn't have those sorts of things to work with, and we're trying to manufacture things out of nothing. Same with Kenobi too. I mean, it's yep. it's. I don't think either you or TJ agree with me on this, but because I've said this before, I think sometimes a great actor can make not awesome lines really work. And and my example I always use is there's some moments in Westworld with Anthony Hopkins where the lines are pretty mustache twirly, cigar chompy, whatever. But because yep. they're coming out of Anthony Hopkins' face, it's amazing. But then if you just read down the script, you go, eh, nah. But not this. You got, no. you got both the script and the actors working. Yeah, so. it's it's just... This is a uh, this is the best Star Wars that I've seen in ten years. The I would not have picked this property. I nope. wouldn't have. I would not have guessed that this was the property that they would have said. You know what? This is where we're going to pour our best resources. I I have no idea what the conversation looks like. You know, in house of should we spend? You know, should we get the best actors, best music, best <laughs> sets for Kenobi or for Andor? And somebody goes, I think we should go with the Andor stuff. Because yeah. that, that's what it feels like to me is like they didn't cheap out. And we know it because all of a sudden Andy Serkis is on is there and you're like, oh, giving one of the best performances I think I've seen in television this year. Holy crap. It's a top Andy Serkis performance. Not Cookie in King Kong? <laughs> I, I'm, well, I mean, that was my number one. Actually, joking is I said it as a joke. I love that character. That's I watch King Kong up until they come back to New York, and then I just shut it off. Is that the guy who says he's the cook? Uh, talk, yeah, he talks about yeah. the abominable snowman or something yeah. like that. Uh, or, yeah, he's the, he's the, the ship's cook, but also knows a lot about weapons. There is a transformation in that character. We'll get to it. That is one of the better movements he does them each scene that character is moving and it's you know it's it's the stages of grief kind of thing where it's like acceptance realization you know processing and then you're releasing he does it with so little too you know i mean the the thing i i've not done much if really any camera work yeah the thing you always hear people say is like the camera loves thought and you should be thinking and and he does there's a couple of particular moments in episode 10 where he's yeah. not, other characters are saying a lot to him and he's not speaking, but oh my God, is he thinking and, and in that so much acting is coming out yeah. of him and it's, it's amazing. The, that I imagine as a screenwriter, and you may know this, is like that, that has to be really difficult to pull off as a writer. I'm going to have somebody saying these hard things behind this actor knowing that the actor will need to put forth a performance that will communicate all the things I, as the writer want in this scene. And I sure hope it goes well. I, and I, and I would assume that's when you just really have to rely on your casting director to to, to say, please God, bring me somebody wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) I need an Anthony Hopkins or, 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 or an Andy circus. I just love seeing him in. in real life. Right. You know, just he's he's such a great actor. He's got he's so interesting to look at. You know, I love him in uh, Black Panther, the f- the first Black sure. Panther as as Ulysses as the kind of just having villain in that. Yeah, he, and he's he's so watchable. Um, and it's just great to see him in Star Wars properly and given right. good things to do because I feel like they sort of uh wet the bed with with uh I don't even remember what his character was called. 
the the mo- oh uh, Snoke. Thank you. Yeah, I was like, what's that motion capture character? Yeah, oh. yeah. Bre- that, I'm, I think Such a correct. mistake. You can judge a lot of the stuff in Episode Seven here by saying same actor, same same world. One of these characters has charisma just oozing off of them, and one of them, you know, it's all right. I mean, it works for the most yeah. part, I suppose. Yeah, sure. My last thought, just big picture, is you know this script not only competes with only you know Empire Strikes Back as the best script, and oftentimes, man, some of the language here is going to age well. Yeah. Some of this stuff here is competing with things like Game of Thrones, where I'm like, that that is displaying everything in the sort of way: political intrigue, ferocity, the terror of the system. The exposing of motives, it's just rich. Yeah. Yeah, the, I, I told you this off mic, but episode seven has two of my favorite lines, I think probably in all of Star Wars. And they're just, they're they're said and they, they hit and then they move on. And that's also great writing too, because sometimes it's easy to put a good line in something and go, this is a great line, so I'm going to sort of draw attention to it. Here's a great line, and then everyone's like, yeah, "Ooh, what a great!" Li-, you know, on on screen, which you know, in, yes. in in a in like a bullshit comedy, which is mostly what I've done. That's totally fine, but right, but not in this. But sometimes you see it. But the two the two moments, in, in particularly episode seven, where I just like, my God, that's that's perfect. It's there. It's creating depth, and it's moving. Yeah, that was there. That was like sometimes I was like, "Wait, I gotta go rewind that." Yeah. Just to just to feel that line a little bit because there's so much great dialogue that's kind of pushing you forward. Uh, so what we're, we're going to do for this one is we got 10 talking points, 10 things worth saying that are leading us up through episode 10. So um, before we jump into this, I did want to say to, to anyone who's just found us because you're looking for Andor podcasts, uh, we have mm-hmm. a large library that we've spent a, a year creating. The Star Wars binge works like a book. We're walking through the best 40 hours of Star Wars scene by scene. If you jump in with our first episode, you will jump into uh, an episode of The Clone Wars called Old Friends Not Forgotten. And that's our chapter one. And we've, what, we have like 28, 30 chapters that we've produced. And these are really starting with The Clone Wars. We're going to work through Rebels. I very, <laughs> we're probably going to need to make some space for some Andor. <laughs> And uh, and eventually we'll we'll wrap the whole binge up with uh, with Jedi, so so do do take take a moment to to sample some of the stuff that we have from our early episodes. Again, it works like a book. We got man, we got what like eighty hours worth of recordings yes. now. So substantial. All right, my brother, let's do this. Uh, my yeah. first point, first talking point is they're getting the politics right. Yes. Unlike episode one, where you're talking about trade federations and the complexities there and not really putting a lot of body or teeth into them, (laughs) or even with New Hope, when you have this disbandment of the Senate and we're talking about new weaponry that's going to keep all the local systems in line, I guess on the paper you're like, okay, I kind of get it. This is different. This is showing you the politics in a very physical way terrifying kind of way i totally agree um i think to to state what you said differently the the about getting politics 
right. I don't necessarily think that episode one got the politics of that type of situation wrong. I think the problem is they didn't get it interesting. Yeah, that's a better way to put that. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like, I'm pretty sure that negotiating trade federations and, and yada, 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 I'm sure that's boring as hell. So to that degree, well done. Right. You you nailed it. <laughs> but but it's not fun to watch, and it's not particularly interesting. And it actually, when, when, you, when you sent me this outline, I, I was thinking about it, it doesn't feel like there's any real danger for most of episode one with this stuff. It doesn't feel like, man, at any moment, right. one domino could topple over and everything here could go. It doesn't even really feel like that in New Hope. I think uh, the right. dialogue pushes you towards that. But with this one, it constantly feels like every single thing everyone does, it's, man, if they go around that corner and the wrong person is there, God, it's all over. <laughs> right. The I, One of the things I was noticing on this front is in episode one, there are there's political danger and tension and they're setting up the scene and they throw two Jedi in. Mm-hmm. And then the Jedi pull out their lightsabers and are battling droids and and then we're off. All of that's fun. All of that's <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's for the kids at some level. What they're doing here is they're taking a person who really has no power in Mon Mothma and she's the character that's entering those spaces of real severe tension going on uh and you're seeing the action you're seeing the state that the galaxy is in through her eyes and her anxieties and that those are just two different ways of of showing what's going on and 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 just brilliantly to to double down on our opening statements genevieve o'reilly as mon mothma in this series she she is so great it is such a it is such a measured um calculated performance yep. for what for what is essentially a right of right off character she could easily be an exposition device but they're giving her moments there's one moment uh where the whoever it is like the the guy who's the money launderer the guy who plays leaves. peter townsend in the crown <laughs> yes walks out and they give her a good five seconds to just breathe yeah. And to show how she's internalizing where she's at, and and she and she nails it, just fantastic. All the stuff between um, with her and her daughter, even though it's not a lot, you can just see how much she loves her daughter and is worried yes. about her. All of the stuff between her and her just worthless husband, her just loser, worthless husband. It's the haircut, I think. It is the it's, haircut it's, it's and the clothes. It's like, why are you? <laughs> Dress like cultural appropriate like you're not you don't live in feudalistic Japan, pal. Take those clothes off. On making the politics interesting to build on this, one of the things I think we obviously we ended our last podcast on Andor talking about how this doesn't feel like Star Wars yet because they're not engaging the mysticism. They're not engaging the the Sith Jedi side of it. And one of the things that I started to note is that there's a huge difference between Sith power and modern autocratic imperial power, where like Sith power is an ancient, mystical kind of power, and imperial power is clean, and it's mechanized, and it's dog-eat-dog, and it's pyramid-structured. And 
at the hub is always going to be Palpatine. And perhaps even, you know, just off camera is Vader and the mystical power he embodies. But he is making it all possible. And it brings a lot of life, as I was saying through this, it brings a lot of life to some of this stuff early in New Hope, where you have the circle of Imperial officers talking about the Death Star and this new technology, but then Vader enters, and it's, don't be too proud of these technologies, of this technological terror. I also think this type of imperialistic, fascist, whatever structure is also ancient, just like the the sith power is maybe not as ancient but but i but and the it, it's a venn diagram of those two mm. things because the the puppet master of all this is is palpatine who is in charge of the galactic empire but is also a sith master a sith lord yep. so it is that darkness is bleeding into everything even though we're not seeing lightning coming out of people's hands there's no laser swords there's no any of the things that we talked about with right. teach it's still there, and I think that ma- that that dark magic, for lack of a better term, I think is going to be is kind of poisoning everybody, whether they know it or not. I like that. It's there's nothing wrong with having governments in which you have society and structure, and somebody has to make the electricity go and the water run, and and, and <laughs> right. make sure that we have sewers and the rest. There's order, and we all, in fact, I assume I would be one of those folks. I'm more progressive in my politics, but I've, I've I want great cops. I really yeah. want great militaries, and even I really want those things to function. Just on the simpler level, I like when the garbage is taken out. Yeah, so, you know, like not to, I'm not trying not to be funny, but it's like there are some things that we need. Like we can't just burn it all down. It can't just be anarchy, <laughs> right? It's when the cityists, yeah side comes in and poisons everything right yeah it's 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 when the garbage man can come into your house and kill your dad because he maybe did something wrong then then it's a problem them just showing up and taking the garbage awesome moving from law enforcement being a, a great good that creates less anxiety police state is you know it's the opposite of that and for any and everything and i and i think this show in the aftermath of the the heist, when they say, all right, doubling up on prison sentences, we're extending things, everything's this, everything's that, they're just these slow moments. On paper, yeah, that makes sense. Something horrible happened, and you whatever. But you just, you kind of see how we get from kind of the the prequel films where, where they're, yeah, there's sort of some control, but not a lot. And to how we get to where we get in A New Hope. And yep. I think this show does such a brilliant job of saying it's just these slow moves. It doesn't happen all at once. And I know we've talked about this before, and and people smarter than me have talked about it in regards to real history and events. But it's just these slow changes. You, you know, you, you don't... What is it? You don't throw a frog into a pot of boiling water because it'll sure. jump out. You slowly, you slowly bring it up. And I think yep. this series is doing a gorgeous uh, and anxiety-inducing job of, of showing how you get there. One of the things that autocratic governments do is when there is a tragedy, they use it as a way to take more control, to elevate more police presence. Look, we're just know. trying to keep everybody safe. That's it. So, And you see this with stuff, responses to 9-11. Um, it would be an example of that. Oh, well, well now we're, we're going to listen to everybody's phone conversations, make sure that everybody's safe, and... Now you're under control. Yeah. The I love the idea of the prisons on this front. Secondarily, that 
like, are your prisons, is there a function about rehabilitating a human being, about them entering a space where they serve for their crimes but are treated as a human being and valued as a human being? That's not the prisons here. No, the the prisons there, you're making products that we desperately need, so we're going to keep you here by any means necessary. One of the more insidious things in our culture is that corporate prison system. You know, you see it in Shawshank. They kind of use that that image of you want to keep these people in prison because they are, in essence, a free labor force for those in control. I, I and thought that's that exactly what this is. Multiple times throughout this arc, I was like, oh man, there's Shawshank redemption v- uh, vibe right. all over this episode. I think it's yeah, it's so well done and so unsettling in a in yeah. a very like subtle way which is hard to do and we're just gonna keep you here you're a great chain gang getting some uh getting our parts manufactured yeah and as long as you do a good job you're gonna have a pretty okay stay here yep i've never seen anything like that just to say that depiction of a prison that idea i've never seen anything like that in 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 any any science fiction fantasy television or things i've consumed throughout my entire life that's a genius idea. Yeah. the So I am a firm believer that Star Wars is fantasy, but they're yeah. doing some great science fiction in this. The 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 food having flavor uh, or no flavor, Taste. that sort of element. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, and uh, <laughs> here's how the security system works. And even making the security system, uh, well, this is jumping to the end a little bit, but making the security system a character so that when the security system, when the floor suddenly doesn't have power anymore, it's a, it's a huge psychological change for everyone. You know, it's the, the cuffs are off. Uh, they use the floor in a handful of places to expose motive and transformation in just wonderful ways. Well, it's a it's a perfect example of how you don't really have to do a lot to control people. Mm-hmm. Just have to you just have to scare them. Fear that is going to do all kinds, and you see that all over Star Wars, but with this in particular. Yeah, when Andor says they don't, they're not listening to our conversations. Yeah, they don't need, and you can just see. <laughs> there's like four or five moments in that episode where you just see Kino's reality shatter a- yeah. around around what he's thought this prison was. And 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 that's what control is. It, it it people just slowly break down. Your they make you afraid, and then you stop thinking, and you just submit to this stuff. And yep. it's, it's it's terrifying as hell. And and that's what this whole series is for me. And it's so well demonstrated in that character in particular. I think. I suppose that moves to the second big talking point for me, which was just the image as a control that we see here. Like the 1984 style oppressive force, best characterized, I thought, in the voice that comes over the intercom in the prison. <laughs> yeah, it's all aggressive and and toned down. And then when you actually see the guy, when you see the Oz behind the curtain, you know, it's like or a what's, little British guy. <laughs> you're like, you're flimsy. Don't don't float away with the wind. But you sounded so intimidating, and that ends up being it's a, it's all psychological. It's all it's control through through these psychological warfare. It's the floor. It's the voice. It's it's the police presence. Yeah, it's 
It's brilliant. Paired, I suppose you, we could build on this. It's paired with images of of the of the ladder climbing. It's if you work harder, you'll get flavor. If you work harder, you won't get zapped. If you work harder, you will rise up the ladder in different ways. And the people who obviously are overseeing the secret police are the people who are really, 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 really good at that. And but what a toxic culture. Yeah. That breeds. And it's funny, it's exactly the same culture as working in corporate America. You're just not in prison. Or are you? Right. And There's I've been doing the research on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of imagery of what would you call that? It's a positive and negative reinforcement. Oh yeah. You know? Um, it's or, all ne- let's be clear, it's all negative. Obviously in prison yeah. and also in corporate America. It's actually all negative. <laughs> Pair that with when you step out of line, this is what's going to happen to you. And so the hanging of a black man in the city square, that's some stuff. That's some, that's some, you know, that's terrorism. Yes. <laughs> they do that a couple times in terms of, I, I was real appreciative of, they don't do it all the time because there's obviously a handful of white prisoners. But there are some scenes where it's almost exclusively people of color who are being imprisoned for clearly no reason whatsoever. And the people who are taking them where they need to go are all the white, well-clad imperial officers. Well, even the scene where um, Cassian gets arrested. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. That is that is crazy. And, but, but, I mean, if you've been alive and paying attention to the world, let's be honest, for forever, but also particularly in the last several years, you're a tourist. I mean, he's not. But the, the notion of somebody just walking to the store... And being pulled off the street because they look suspicious. Yeah. That might as well be happening in Arizona. You're you know what I mean? A little sweaty. Or, yeah, looking a little sweaty. A little yeah, it's hot. I'm walking. Nah, nah. We're gonna we're gonna arrest you and you're gonna go off to prison for six potentially more years. Nobody's ever gonna see you again. Take it up with the Empire. Yeah. Except yeah, good luck. <laughs> that is what that was for me on second viewing is that is enslavement. They kidnapped yeah. a man enslaved him yeah oh yeah and that whole prison is slave labor <laughs> right there's the whole it, notion of it everybody's every, everybody in that prison from the prisoners to the guards obviously are are enslaved to something you're smoking weed and so we're going to throw you in this prison for three years and do three years of forced labor that benefits us it'd be yeah. that sort of thing yeah. you stole a loaf of bread because your family was dying yes. and now you deserve to be punished for the rest of your life that is there again. Yeah, the Lemis angles on uh, on Andor, I think, are all over this for sure. Also, heart jumped. There's a KX security droid, uh, mm-hmm. bear, uh, a cousin, I assume, brother perhaps of K2SO that comes up out of the ocean, and I was just like, "Oh, it's on! We're getting close." Yeah. I assumed this was not going to be the transformative moment, but that they were just planting these for later yeah that they're there and you recognize him and there's also a terrifying moment when he says hold him you could just see that look of terror in his face and he goes hold him slams him up against the wall he didn't mean hold him i thought that was that was great um not playful as in the way that cassian and and k2's interactions are in in rogue one but while it was terrifying still bantery right and i enjoyed that agreed yeah the they're not missing on the droids just throughout this whole show. No, they really just aren't. When they when they come in, there aren't a lot of aliens and there aren't a lot of droids, but when they show up, they're done really well. 
third on my list was family. Got some not either. It's not always non-traditional families, but it's um, perhaps some relationships that aren't always forefront in a lot of the the pop fantasy, you know, IPO kind of properties. Mm-hmm. So specifically, the sister relationship is became real interesting. The Vel and Mon Mothma relationship, real similar. Real similar to Satine and Bo-Katan in terms of like the warrior sister and the political sister. Yeah, that, and I did not see that coming. Right. When when all of a sudden, when she the first time she shows up on Coruscant and she's dressed very different, and you go, okay, didn't see that. Coming. And then yeah, when it's when it's in the in Mon Mothma's home and your cousin is here, and suddenly, hey, wait. Yeah, I suppose that's right. They're cousins, not sisters, but still, there still works. But that, that female affection. All over those characters, the backroom conversations all over Mon Mothma inside of her family. There are so many moments where it's let's go over here and have this conversation away from my family. So much of her chosen family or her chosen tribe seems to matter to her, to Mon Mothma more than her real real family, her daughter and her husband. And I think right. that's fascinating. Daughter is going to be. I, I, we should speculate on the daughter at some point, but. This is a character that's going to be important, you know, either. I mean, my assumption is she actually is also a rebel and is hiding it from her mom or she's uh, very going to be very much the I'm jumping into this whole system because this is what life's really about. Because every time she shows up, it's to to show how quickly she's trying to leave. Yeah. And it's it's not thrown away. It's it's given two or three minutes of dialogue of. I'm leaving. Dad said I could leave. Oh, you're going to leave? Okay, well, we wanted you to be here. Yep. And, uh, yeah. So, what are, you, what, what are you up to? Yeah. Something. <laughs> Something. Depth there. I suppose it's it's the case with, this is what I meant by, like, affection, but the Vel and Mon Mothma have history together mm-hmm. in their conversations. And it feels like that's the same with the Mon Mothma and her daughter and with her husband. There's history in how they are coming to to one another yeah relationships no true. I suppose yeah on the same front and there's another sort of relationship and it's the son mother relationship and you see it both with cassian and his mom but you also see it with um cyril and his mom and there's history with these characters yeah, yeah oh my that that with cyril and his mom that is every one of those scenes makes me feel horrible Right. And and Catherine Hunter, I know we shouted her out last time, but she she brings an intensity and a and a disgust in her son to that that yeah. is that is awful and at the same time you cannot pull your eyes away from it. It's, it's that's exactly it. It's when we enter those scenes, those scenes are as uncomfortable as some of the torture scenes where it's like, oh, okay, we gotta we gotta do this. Okay. Well, because it that it is a torture scene. Like that yep. woman is torturing her son because she thinks that's what's going to motivate him. Yeah. Because in that scene where he later says, I got a promotion promotion, man, she turns. But it's still gross. It's super gross. Here's some more it, cereal now. It's also like it. It, one of the big things I think we'll talk about at the end of this podcast is the whole world is creating that imprisonment for all of these characters. The yeah. primary reason that she's gross or that the motive for her being overly gross is that she understands this world is a ladder. Yeah, and you, yeah, you, you, you're on the bottom if you're not 
if you're not moving at all towards the top, you're at the bottom. Yeah. I love the relationship between Marva and, and Cassian. It's, it's, it feels so genuine and real and they actually love each other. And, yeah. and one of my favorite lines in star Wars is when he said, he turns to her and says, but I'm always going to worry about you. And she says, well, that's just love. And there's nothing you can do about that. That broke me all three times. I watched it. Yeah. Cuts. Yeah. Dialogue here on exactly these fronts. I mean, some of, some of the lines are, are so good and you kind of miss them because the directors aren't necessarily highlighting them, like saying, okay, here's the money line, y'all. You know? Yeah. They just so, let it, they just let it go. Yeah. And the, the, the other one in episode seven around all of this is, and just to connect to what we were saying earlier with the, with the empire and the control and everything, when after that heist happens and they say, this is going to be bad. And, and Mon Mothma says, people are going to get hurt and this is going to change things. And Luthen says, basically says, that's the point. But then he says, the empire's had its hand on our necks for so long. We've started not to notice. And that's my other favorite line in, yeah. in star Wars. And I think that it, it's jumping back to our first point, but I think that sums up everything. You just don't yeah. notice. It's the, it's brilliant frog in the pot of water yeah it's it's all genius that kind of that's a good lead into the fourth thing i wanted to talk about in terms of the i think the villainy here is really well displayed it's not just each of the characters but it's the whole world's infected and it creates conditions in which the villainy just has the ability to express itself I felt like that was truer about our politics than anything that was in in the show. It's that the conditions have been manipulated such that mm -hmm. the worst elements of people in high office are now coming out in these ridiculous ways where you're like, this would have destroyed your career as a politician 30 years ago. And today, <laughs> it's actually something that you're hanging a lantern on and saying, this is who I am. Yeah, you've made it your whole identity. The sequels, I think, fail because the villain, the villains don't really work the way that I, I think there's some great stuff going on with Kylo Ren at parts. But for the most part, I'm just not into the villains. No. First order stuff at the best is some mustache twirling and some, as as I'm sure we'll say in the future, some, you know, it's that emo, what, um, my daddy didn't love me kind of angst. And he's the only one. It, Kylo Ren is is just so emotionally distraught and cares absolutely about everything to no purpose. Whereas the rest of the villains in the the sequels are very yeah mustache twirly, cigar chompy. We're just we're the bad guys. Yeah, come on, let's let's do the thing. And and then you, there's this one character that's punching holes in walls without a shirt on. Why? I I assume you've gotten to read the graphic comic mouse oh yeah which is a um but if you if, dear listener if you haven't seen this it's if really it's not been banned in your community's library or school <laughs> go get it now the 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 sort of feelings of terror from the villains is something out of mouse is something out of schindler's list um something out that, of history yeah the <laughs> the the nazi elements are really well captured here, where the Nazi elements that are in Episode Seven in Force Awakens are just—it's Heil Hitler salutes. It, it's just—it's—it's it's not the same. Here is what it's really shown. It feels like, this like how this works in in the Force Awakens. It almost feels like they're trying to go for the you know, the way the Nazis are presented in the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, it feels like that. Except call. it works in the Indiana Jones movies because. 
because you know Indiana Jones and and his gang are gonna best whatever it is they're doing. So you're not meant. Right. I do not feel like in the Indiana Jones movies you're meant to be afraid of the Nazis because they're losers. They're on the wrong right. side of history. But that isn't Star Wars. You should also, be a little afraid of it. True. For the most part, how would this work? I think you're exactly right. You're, they're in foreign countries. They're in Egypt or they're in Italy. The, yeah. There's a Nazi occupation, but it's not like you're in the heartland as it were. You know, Germ- you know I suppose when yeah. they go to Germany in that third movie, it's a little, it's a little bit more ferocious. But, he, but even still, there there's still a laughable element to them. Yeah. Their, their, their arrogance makes them stupid. Yeah. Whereas in Star Wars, the fascism needs to, the fascism is working and it needs to be scary and it can't just be demonstrative because that doesn't mean anything. That's a good call. Yeah. This feels like a truly possible world. Yeah. Like if fast forward a hundred years, if somebody were to say, this is kind of what it looks like, you'd be like, all right. That's, yeah, I believe that's that. where we're going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of it lays a foundation. There's a line in New Hope in which Tarkin is talking about the Death Star, and he says that... Fear will keep the local systems in line. Fear of this battle station. When you just watch New Hope, it's you're going from zero to 100. Okay, now we have nuclear weapons. We'll destroy your whole country. But say it were the case that you had experienced this sort of empire. You've experienced them take away your freedoms and prison people you love, you know, hang people you know in the city Show squares. Show up and take your father away to a hotel yeah. in the middle of the night and he just doesn't come back. And then you hear they have a device that will simply destroy your entire country, your entire planet. Like, that's next level steps. And uh, that I, I, as watching this, that was one of the lines that kind of came to mind. I was mm-hmm. just like, it just has a different kind of tone to it now for me. Yeah, totally. The, this this is a prequel that is doing all of the things and ticking all the boxes that I think a prequel needs to do. It it's it's meant to answer questions. It's meant to show you how you get from A to I'm going to say D in this case. And I think it's doing that. Yeah. And it also does the things that it, it also does a thing that I feel most prequels fail to do which is still give you a sense of urgency we've been talking about through this entire episode. Because usually you know. I know what happens to Obi-Wan Kenobi. I know what happens right. to Darth Vader. I know Luke and Leia are going to grow up to be adults and die in wussy, ignominious ways. That, <laughs> But I know what's going to happen. And I know what's going to happen to Cassian Andor. But you don't know. Well, you Watching this show, you're forgetting. So I think this this is functioning as a prequel in so many ways, not, not least of which is... Serves as a really great prequel story for the Empire. It's it's right. shocking, and I didn't expect that to be part of this story. Real similar, and we had talked about this, but it's similar to Better Call Saul. You know that Saul's going to be in Breaking Bad, but you don't know if the people Saul cares about are going to make it. And that's, I suppose, how I feel. It's like, we don't know what's going to happen to Bix. We don't know what's going to happen to uh, Andy Serkis' character. You know, Mon Mothma has a family. You know, all these people have people that yeah. care about. And I suppose uh, I feel real affection for for the Luthan character. I do too. He's throughout the whole thing, but then particularly in episode ten, there's just and we'll get to it obviously, but uh, so I won't say too much now. But that that final scene with him in 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 ten is is a top Star Wars moment for me, where it just said, "My God, I hope this works out for this guy." Nail it. Final word on villains. You will know this mother shed that occasionally on the Twitter. 
Star Wars fans are villains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, occas- they occasionally disagree with one another. The only thing that I've seen like a debate on is the Deidre Scowl. Are you pro <laughs> the Deidre Scowl or are you anti the Deidre Scowl? I like this character tremendously. Quite a lot. And and particularly in the latter half of, of these episodes, I, I've started to like her even more. That scene with her and Cyril in, in episode nine or ten dismisses him. But then kind of has that moment where she has to run into work and, and is kind of yeah. and like shouts at her assistant. And then he leaves and there's that real moment that that exhale um, I think did a brilliant job making that character human. So she's not just a scowly villain that they put some real humanity in there and you can just, and I, but I think you see that throughout the whole character. I think she is, she is desperate to get ahead and she wants to prove herself. And I think is just as broken and terrified as the rest of these people are. And that, and that's, and that's made her kind of cruel. Um, and just you see in that slow ladder climbing that we talked about, you see mm-hmm. her character doing that. And I think she's starting to realize the more cruel she is, the more she can get ahead. And even though one could make moral judgments based off of the occupation she has already, that's going to rip her apart as a, as a yeah. human being. And I think that's what you see in that episode, because that's, that's human connection that she has with Cyril, which he hasn't got and she hasn't got. And they don't know how to act like... You know, sometimes you're sad and you just want to call up a friend and say, I've had a really bad day. Would it be po- like, could I could I come over and just have a, could I have a hug? Can I have a connected moment? You don't know how to do that in this world. And these characters are getting ripped apart and losing their humanity. So I've I've loved what they've done with her character. And, and the slowness of it doesn't bother me because that's a, uh, what's the word? Um, storytelling. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> I'm fine with that. It is, for me, the scowl, it's kind of like the Christian Bale Batman voice at times where it's like <laughs> I think you I think it, I love everything about this movie love everything about this character it's just one one choice just a little too far for me give me some Kevin Conroy rest in peace my brother for the for some Batman voice uh I I, I want to see I want to see more face acting I suppose from her that isn't just that 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 feels mustache twirly in a different kind of way for me so hmm. it's one, one of the few misses on on my on my uh on my card i thought i think see i don't i don't know if i agree because I, I thought the that scene where she's interrogating bix is wonderful i agree though i do in agree. it's in it's that character goes in there and is not a person yeah when she's interrogating her and you know, they say that if you heard, I don't remember who I heard say this, but the expression that as people sort of change and progress, they sort of slowly become their face becomes who they are. Sure. And that's how I felt about that moment. Like the just that like cruelty, but also that you can see the delight in the cruelty in that sneer all over her face. Like this group of people has figured out how to weaponize the dying screams of children to torture people. <laughs> what the my God, they played that scene out. It was, I mean, it was, it reminded me of Princess Bride where they were t- you know, talking about the levels of what's the name of that machine? He's in the pit of despair, but I don't remember. You survived the fire swamp, you must be very brave, but nobody withstands the machine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 
just sucked one year of your life away. Pit of despair is what it reminded me of. But that's fairly, you know, it's Rob Reiner and this movie is pretty much for kids. And it's like, okay, you get it that this is going to hurt. Man, they go for a while telling you that this is not going to be pleasant <laughs> with these screams of aliens. And that... And so to me, that look, that sneer, that snarl, that whatever on, on, on her face, I think, I think that is who that character is. So yeah. I, I like it. You're in for it. All right. And that scene also, Adria Arona as, as Bix, the act, she doesn't say very much in this show, but she, th- that actress is doing an amazing job of, of making this character and her resistance to, to what is happening to her is, is incredible. Yeah. And then her, that's the best, that's one of the best portrayals of somebody being tortured I've ever seen on screen. I thought that too. It was deeply real, upsetting. Real hard to pull off that you're feeling terror, but you don't want to express too much of that in your face because you want to look strong and just all the things that you probably have to capture in those sorts of moments. I did like the line. It was something to the extent of, if I told you the truth, would you believe me? Yeah, that was great. You wouldn't believe me. That that moment between those two women is is brilliant. The, the, yeah. Tell me what I want to know. If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And then that, that sort of respect. Yep. yep. That sort of game <laughs> recognizes game face of you. Yeah, hey, fair enough. You got me on that one. Well, do well done. I you do. got me. Guess what? You're about to uh, you're about to have your shit wrecked by the so, the screams of murdered children. Right. Jesus, that was terrifying. Yeah, that the interrogation scenes in Star Wars are always uh, required to show the villainy. You do this yeah. with Vader torturing Leia, or you know Kylo Ren's coming in to torture Rey. Or there's the scene. Actually, probably the best of them is uh, of the three right. in Rogue One is the whatever that octopus creature is oh god yeah i also always think of the scene where they torture han in empire oh there you go yeah ups the villainy extract the what if, if you're water bordering people friends you should know you're the bad guy in the story <laughs> it's enhanced interrogation techniques jeff did you see zero dark 30 yeah mm-hmm. Woo! there's a couple of waterboarding scenes in that movie that are uh, horrifying and and Jessica Chastain, now finally, also long overdue, now Academy Award winner, Jessica Chastain. Her, similar to what we just talked about with Bix, her reactions to that make those scenes. Because you're watching something inhuman being done to a human, and, and to, to subtly pull that off is, is pretty challenging. So, yep. well done all around, folks. Fifthly for me, ends up being the events that inspire. I've... I liked the idea that the robbery ends up having a, you know, it's uh, the Russian is cut kind of <laughs> energy to it. He's cut! He's cut! Russian's cut! You can do damage to them. I liked it on one side. On a secondary side, this I'm pacifist that I am, I, I don't like these sorts of scenes. So Marva hears about the robbery. And says, you know, have you heard about this? And that she's all inspired. And and I get that and I can see it. On the flip side, that's exactly what 9-11 is. 
is it's meant to be that sort of event. Or that's exactly what January 6th is kind of in the popular imagination now. It's the American government, the American economy can get bludgeoned. We can cut this sucker. And so like those types of violent events, and I suppose the destruction of the Death Star might be this as well if you know word gets out that that's what's happened and so i'm i have mixed emotions about this but i was hoping for your thoughts uh yes (laughs) i think there is a time for pacifism and then i think there are times when in whatever way you are able to resist you must stand up and resist yeah and i i i think retaliatory man I've, I've i've just seen black panther wakanda forever and there's a couple of moments that i think speak to this so well and i don't want to say it because i know you haven't seen it and it's so new i know i i don't want to ruin it for any listeners but the the um the difference between uh going to war for revenge or going to war to save something and I think in these instances, in Star Wars and in the reactions to January 6th, in the reactions to real-life fascism and, 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 and authoritarianism, I, I think pacifism has to go out the window a little bit, and you need to stand up and fight for yeah. the soul of who you are as a person and who your community is. And I don't mean get violent. I don't. I think sometimes it can come to that, but I think it's... There are times when you got to stand up and resist because if you don't do anything, even if it's a small thing that's in your capacity, you, you lose who you are. Right. I think that's wise and good. And obviously, there's a difference between attacking a, uh, a functioning government. Right, right, yeah. And, don't do and that. Attacking, and, and attacking Nazi you know, military bases. The, those are two very different things. Yeah, one one thousand percent. We we're just to say here now. Neither of us are advocating that anybody take any real action, <laughs> you know. But but I do think I will advocate and 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 always will for for you've got to stay. We you got to stand up against tyranny and and fascism because suddenly it's it's little things and then it's it's bigger things and then suddenly it's where are the neighbors and it's too late. There you go. That's what I got for those first three episodes. Now we're at episode 10. And it's good, man. I, <laughs> I heard from 12 different people. Have you seen this yet? And I was like, no, I'm saving it for Friday. Wait, have you seen this yet? Just everywhere. Yeah. Friend of the podcast and, and uh, Palpatine fanboy, TJ Wilson. I enjoyed his text to us. <laughs> I There may not be a better theme for the, the the movies that I love, the escape from hell scenes are some of my favorite. Uh, Dark Knight Rises has this image. Silence of the Lambs has this image. Uh, Shawshank Redemption has this image of the character you're cheering for is escaping from some sort of hellish environment through their own wit and cunning. And I know that you're a great escape fan. Chicken run. <laughs> Chicken run. This pulls off that trope as well as anything i just loved every moment of the how are they going to get out of this you know it takes creativity it takes teamwork it takes an understanding of your enemy and then all of that's wrapped up in the energy that comes from men shouting at one another you know and just just love the hell out of it 
Yeah, this this is the best prison escape I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> ever? I think so. This, this is better than Shawshank? Yeah. Better than Silence of the Lambs? Yeah. Yeah, cuz it's a it's a different it's a different prison escape than in Silence of the Lambs. You don't really want Hannibal Lecter to break out of prison. I, I just just to put it on the record. I totally want Hannibal Lecter <laughs> to break out of prison. <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, you you do, but it's a but you also know that that's going to be bad. You, you know, you, this is different. It's one of the great elements of fiction that you can cheer for for that yes. guy. <laughs> I mean, that's that you know this this is my that's my favorite movie. So that I I, I I'm with you, but but I think this is a different yeah. beast altogether because this is. This is a group of individuals escaping something as as a, escaping something hellish, as opposed to Silence of the Lambs is like the devil has escaped from the thing that's holding him, and now shit's about to get real. Shawshank is incredible. I love that prison escape, and in in but in but just in terms of visually compelling, lots of things happening on screen at once. This is awesome. The fact it's in the conversation shows you how how well done this show is yeah like those those are top scenes for me and this is executing at that level well and it's because it's there's a plan but then at a certain point there's really no plan other than just get out of the room yeah so they're throwing anything that they can find that just all of these things all of these pieces yeah it's a plan up until it's happening and then it's <laughs> Adapt, grab whatever you can, start running. There's another favorite scene. The end of Unforgiven has this kind of element where when there's actually a gunfight, people are like kind of, their energy goes up and they're like, whoa, they're like fumbling their guns trying to <laughs> trying right, to because, shoot the, Because not and... all of these guys, all, not all of these prisoners, they're not all violent right. prisoners. They're not former soldiers. Some of these people, like, you know, some of these people probably really are tourists. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Exactly. So they're not, so, they're not all, they're not soldiers. So they're, they're escaping. You see the doctor in that one moment where he's just kind of, he clearly is overwhelmed. Yeah. Like, okay, okay, okay. I guess we're, I guess we're escaping from prison. I guess, we're, okay. Um, and I think that's so well done and it's so chaotic and it's, it's amazing. Those sorts of scenes when, you're depicting the confusion and the inability to throw, you know, a metallic object at the guy who's got a gun and is sniping people next to you. And then to see the guy to your left yelling yeah. commands in those moments with, with some real direction. That some, that's some powerful stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's the, it's the standing up with whatever and in any way that you are able to you're throwing yeah. rocks you're throwing rocks at somebody with a gun essentially and i think that's 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 incredible there to skip forward to to one of my favorite lines was from circus who is once they get to the command center says if you see someone confused you see someone who's lost you keep them moving and yeah, that one. That was the one that that got me in terms of like that. That's just a beautiful sentiment in the in the midst of you know driving men to get up. Well, and I think that is effective and compelling and beautiful because to a degree that's his relationship with with Cassian. Yeah, you know he's kind of he's confused and he's not moving and he's stuck in that system and then Cassian comes and picks him up and points him in the right direction exactly and it. and frees him to a degree and that whole scene is 
I love that scene, the the him over the intercom, where it, it starts out so weak, and it's, is that all you got? And then as he slowly figures out how to actually be a leader as opposed yeah. to just shouting, get on, get go, not get into formation, that's Beyonce, but um, uh, what is it, on plan? Pro- on program. On program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just kept wanting to say information. It's like, no, that's that's a that's a Beyonce album. That was rich. The getting to the microphone. Yeah. And Cassian saying it has to be you and him having that reluctant there's a lot of reluctant hero going on in Star Wars. Yeah. And putting that in that character who's clearly traumatized and had embodied, this is how I'm going to get out of here. And he had it in his mind, and he was doing all of these abusive things so that one day he could be free. And having that whole story shift, and now he has to step into not, I'm getting men to do what I need them to do through abuse. It's now I'm getting men to do what they need to do through encouragement. And that's a sh- that's a hard thing to shift and being able to do that through the microphone scene. Woo. And it's just, and, and as we said at the top of this episode, the fact that so much of Andy Serkis's performance in that is silent for a good chunk before he begins to speak. And you can just see that realization and that change of heart and him coming into who he actually is yeah. in that moment. And it's, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful, that episode is this whole episode is every bit as effective as like the seven people who text me also like, holy shit. It's like, yeah, yeah, I agree. This, this lived up to the hype. Where you see the, this is a good opposite image where the empire dehumanizes people. The rebellion is humanizing people. And that, that character is one of them. And not only humanizing them, but, but almost allowing them to become who they're meant to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're embracing your full your fullest humanity is a, is a functional picture. Like this is this is this is what I do in the world and yeah. how I express my best self. Yeah, it's just it's gorgeous. Just the top. This is a, yeah. This whole episode is a top Star Wars scene for me. There's I have like three points on on mm-hmm. this, but uh, like a, another one would be the the color orange at some point hit me, and we had talked about it before in terms of how they've shown. The, the men who are working uh, on uh, Ferrix having mm-hmm. orange suits that look like Luke's outfit. But there was a point where the prisoners had escaped. They're in hallways that look real similar to the beginning of New Hope. And they have guns that look like they're similar to New Hope. And then you're like, oh, the rebellion's on. But the color, it was, it was the, I mean, what happens for the Andy Serkis character happens for everybody in that it's dog eat dog. Our table number four is competing against table number five. Mm -hmm. But when they're suddenly on the same team and they're wearing the same uniform and it's all for me, it was the white uniforms with the orange color that I got really emotional that it was like, this is the togetherness and it, I don't know. There's just something really powerful there. You'll you may know this that there the first revolution in Ukraine, uh, I mean, almost 20 years ago, was called the Orange Revolution, and mm-hmm. it was the movement against Russian influence. And there was something there. I I, I don't know that I'm putting my finger on it. That all that the rebellion's going to symbolize in all of those movies going forward, I thought just was just excellently captured. And so these men are running through those hallways with the guns, and all I suppose it was like a duh moment, but it was like, oh, these thousands of prisoners, all of them are going to become 
rebel soldiers. And I just hadn't thought about that. And it was, it was through the color. It was through the color in the uniforms that, that, and I got really emotional when I had that thought anyway. Yeah, it's brilliant and clearly so intentional. And I just, you know, that we, we, TJ began the praise of them, but you know, just the, the Gilroy boys are, are, are doing amazing things with this story <laughs> and the editing because the other Gilroy brother is uh, Dan, I believe his name is. He's the editor on the the show. So all three of those boys kicking ass. <laughs> but they bet their parents are thrilled. My eighth uh, thing was the unveiling. There's something about pulling back the curtain. I've already mentioned The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the pulling back of the curtain and you realizing that the emperor has no clothes. Thank God we're experiencing that this week in our country. Just to to be yeah. my the joy in my heart is just on fire right now watching the Star Wars with <laughs> with recent elections. But when which and just knowing the Star Wars story, the the phrase "the emperor has no clothes" revolting. <laughs> <laughs> so you said like a real impactful thing, and I just needed to counter with something childish and stupid. When Andor ex. Exposes their tactics for Kino, Brandy Circus's character. When he says, You don't kill a hundred men if you have power, they're terrified. And his language, his phrase was, Power doesn't panic. Yeah. And that has just been resting heavy on me right now. Yeah, everybody's in free fall right now. <laughs> it is exposing that they don't have the power you think they do. And that is also symbolized when the floors short out. The floors shorting out, it was again one of those things where when they realize that the floors don't have power, the the chains are off and it's go time. That moment I think is brilliantly depicted also by Andy Serkis when yep. when he, he looks down and then just kind of looks up and the camera holds on him. And then it's like, that's the final barrier that needed to be broken for his character to then shout to attack. Yeah. He kind of, that really, <laughs> God, it was good. Had almost a, um, even though we could actually see him and he wasn't a, he wasn't a CGI monkey. I mean, but just that, that Caesar leading the, the attack in the Planet of the Apes franchise. Like he's just so commanding no matter what he's doing or, or what character he's been depicted as. It seemed like such a simple thing to do to have circus yell attack. Like this will just, this will inspire the action. But you're exactly right. Like there was and, and you're way damn more right. going on there. Yeah, no, I know. But you, but like I said, I mean, it's like the final barrier, right? Andy Circus realizing that that's his first moment of really becoming the leader he's meant to be. Yep. And like those fools gave away the the gig in the first time when they're in prison. You might wonder how the two of us in this room can so easily stand in front of you. It's because of the floors. You don't tell people, hello, my name is Achilles. Guess what? If you whack my heel, I am dead. <laughs> That's true. I didn't put that together. That's exactly right. Idiots. <laughs> you stupid idiots. It's the it's the hu it's exactly what Cassian said. It's the hubris of power yeah. and and control. These people wouldn't dare take a stand against us because we've beaten them down. Guess what? <laughs> There's only so much shit you can make another human eat before they stand up to you. My ninth thing is overcoming fear. So much of Star Wars is about overcoming fear. Yeah. You, you just got released from prison. The floors don't work anymore. They, they decide not to push towards exhilaration. Over and again, they show men who are afraid and overcoming their fear. And it starts with 
Circus getting on the mic and embracing his identity, as we were kind of saying, but he says, you know, into the mic. We have deactivated every floor in the facility. All the floors are cold. And they cut to one black man who's standing at the edge of his cell, and he decides to go first and to step onto the floor. Ah! That 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 made me think of um, Indiana Jones, the leap from the lion's it, head. It's that, exactly that. what that is. That's yeah. exactly what I thought too. And both those scenes express the same thing. It's it is um, that is faith on film. It's so difficult to to show that faith, and I think hope. I think yeah. And I think I think Star Wars does such a beautiful job with the difference between hope and optimism, because you know optimism is sort of a sunny belief that everything's going to work out when it shouldn't, and it's disingenuous. Whereas hope exists in the worst of all places when it shouldn't, and that shouldn't be in a prison. And I just think that's I think that's that makes me super emotional. Any any of these moments throughout Star Wars just hit me like a bus with the with the hope. Because it's not positive either. Like these guys are terrified, and none of this is good. And and regardless of what they do, it's probably going to be bad. Now you've escaped from prison, and now you're always running. But just the hope of what freedom could be. Right. There was a mixture of that. Like hope is infectious in this way that it. A lot of the escape moves from one person to three people to 12 people to, and it just builds. Yeah. And that image I thought was really well done in terms of it's encapsulated by the line that I said before that if you see someone confused or lost, you can yeah. keep them moving. Like it's, it's the, we're all in this together. You know, there is no me. There's, there's us. Yeah. Kind of image. And I, I, I love throughout the moments in this episode where you see them escaping and that sort of infectious hope and joy. The, the, the few cuts to the, you know, what, 11 or so guards just bricking it, <laughs> hiding in the, hiding yeah, in that one right. closet. <laughs> just, all right, let's just stay in here. It'll be okay. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. And that's highly believable. Like, this is what's happened. Oh, yeah. There is, um, we're all in this together sort of uh, image in The Dark Knight Rises where all the men are, are doing the mantra chant mm -hmm. as Bruce Wayne is, is trying to make the leap. Is that me? Rise. There's another one that's another leap. Um, yeah. That's what I was hearing when they were yelling one way out mm -hmm. and that it just builds into this... This, it's a, it becomes a mantra. It's no longer a message. It's it's a, a reinforced kind of idea that is just energy propelling those men. Last thing about the escape, <laughs> they shoot the prison from above, and it's shaped like the imperial sign i thought that was tasty I, I don't know if you saw this but i not until i read that and then i just i googled real fast i was like yeah. oh yeah it sure is <laughs> it was, i thought that was really cool which is again just hubris don't make <laughs> come on what a waste just make a box last idea on the prison escape and i think showing the imperial logo on the prison that that's the structure of the prison I think ends up being, that's a metaphor for everything else. Everybody mm -hmm. is imprisoned in this last episode, in episode 10. Cassian's imprisoned in that prison, but then, you know, 
Luthen, in the speech we'll get to, he's imprisoned. He's imprisoned in his head. And Cyrillin is imprisoned in this cubicle. And Mon Mothma is imprisoned in this marriage and her role. And even some of the SS officers, they're all in these dehumanizing jobs. Everybody has been imprisoned by this, this larger imperial system. Yeah, no one is free. But one person is free at the end. Or two people, or all these men, I suppose, are who have gotten out of this prison are free. And there's the rebellion. Yeah. I thought that was a great kind of image for, here's the starting point. Um, He can't swim. You got thoughts on this? Oh, I know. When they hit that, I just, my heart broke. <laughs> that's that's my only thought. It's just my, my heart broke when he says that. And then, and or the, the guy who he sort of looked to, you can see is coming up with a plan and then he gets knocked off of the edge. And I just thought, and I know, I know how storytelling works and I know how Star (laughs) Wars works. We're going to see him again. It's going to be fine because the characters that they know we care about, we see them die on screen. It doesn't happen off stage. Right. But it just broke my heart. (laughs) I, I love the separation of characters and it's Mm -hmm. super difficult to pull off. And, and I, I agree. They did it. They did it masterfully here. He, they, there's no way those two can stay together and uh, just masterfully done. Yeah. And again, just obviously the writing, obviously the whatever, but just just to speak to, we've spoken so much about Andy Serkis's performance and it's obviously amazing. But I also want to say Diego Luna's performance in this whole series, but particularly as the leader in these episodes, he he's just, he's doing everything right. And it looks yep. so effortless and he's just, he's just turning in an amazing performance. Very difficult type of leader to show on film. The thoughtful, withdrawn leader who is as cunning and wise, you know, as the empire he's going up against. Yeah. But it's hard to show intelligence unless you do things like this. It's a prison break. And notice how he played out all the pieces. And they just... The showing the intelligence, I think, you can see throughout this whole series, where he that he's a character and his performance, even when he's even when he's standing in the middle of a room and isn't really doing anything, he's 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 looking at everything, and that's so intentional yep. and so well done. If you can just he's he's taking in the whole room all the time, watching the people, watching the things, and it doesn't feel obvious and overperformed. It's just simple and and. And there to see if you're paying attention to it. It's just a brilliant performance. Yeah, agreed. Knows what that that's where when he gives the microphone to Andy Circus, love that choice for that character. And it that was something that just reveals that character. He's not looking to be the primary person in command. But, but so much of his leadership is what is commanding the whole army, as it were. Well, and that's good leaders empower other people. Yeah. I, I mean, there's um, he knows that he's not William Wallace. You know? <laughs> sure. He knows, he knows that he's not Maximus. He's, his skill set is, I mean, we had talked about it earlier, his flourishing and him embodying his best self is going to look very different than, uh, than Kino's character. The Andy Serkis character. Yeah. All right. Lastly, 
my number 10 on towards episode 10 that the luthan speech is is i don't think i took a breath yeah neither did i and i i backed it up immediately after it was over and watched it again it's just in Star Wars, where like so much is always happening on screen, so much movement to to give moments to stillness. That camera is just on Stellan Skarsgård's face, and yep. he's not in a particularly interesting costume. Nothing particularly outrageous oh, really? is happening. I mean, it's a cool co- it's a cool costume, but it's not yeah. a flashy costume. It's, it's not, not a it is not it is not the costume he wears on Coruscant. It is a uh, black robe. When he wa- when he walked in, I was like, oh. We're right. He's a Jedi. That's yeah, what he I looked, thought. He looked awesome. But but it wasn't a showy garb. Yeah. It wasn't I, Mon Mothma's clothes. It I, wasn't, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but it's just on him, and they let it just be that. And it's brilliant. One of the things that I truly appreciated in Kenobi, and it's a story that needs to be told, and it's probably very, very true of any meaningful political movement. If you read stuff, for example, like I'm going through, we, we've mentioned McCullough in the past. I've, I don't know if you've read 1776 oh, or yeah. his Adam stuff. When he goes in, in 1776, just depicting the conditions, the living conditions of average soldiers, it, it sounds just miserable. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, profoundly awful. It sounds so terrible. Um, there's a few wars that i would ever want to be in but like that's one of those where i'm just like Ugh, that's i generally want <laughs> yeah. to avoid that yeah. um, least of which is the revolutionary war <laughs> the men sacrificing for an idea i mean men sacrificing for to get for freedom for liberty for the the ideals that they hold in when that character when the secret agent character says to him it's just worth playing the speech. Yeah. He he says, what did you sacrifice? He says, Calm. Kindness, kinship. Love. All these very humanizing things. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my my eagerness to fight, has set me on a path from which there's no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost, and by the time I look down, there's no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. Now, the ego that started this fight will never have a a mirror or an audience or or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? So much that's elevated is the warmth of life I could have had. Mm-hmm. I love, again, pacifist I am, the the image of I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them is one of those places that, that I really wrestle with. Like, is it the case that you use violence to overcome violence? Do you, do, do you, what is it? Do you become the devil that you're 
trying to defeat kind of imagery. And there, I mean, his temptation is all over that line, it seems to me. And it's almost like I've made vows, already cut off relationships, and this is where I'm at. All of this is a pitch to, to the man in front of him who I assume he really needs to stay at his post. Yeah, and the confidence to just shut the door after you say that and be like, this guy's gonna go, this guy's going to go back and do what I said. Yes. Um, the, 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 I mean, you said it, the, the I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them is really effective. Super effective. Because how many times in the last six years have we heard people say that, where it's, we cannot do the try to, try to defeat people with whatever. How many times, if, if we want to defeat X political party, you have to start playing by their rules. They yeah. are down in the shit, and we need to get down in there too. We cannot continue to do this thing. And that might be true, but my God, at what cost? It's a, a watching what's going on this week, the Democrats are going to lose the House because they didn't gerrymander New York. The liberal progressive judges said no to gerrymandering in New York, but they didn't in Florida. I was and just going to say, but yeah, Ron DeSantis the, on the other hand. And, the, and that's going to end up being the difference between those. Now, I personally think ger- gerrymandering is horrific. Yep. It, it assaults the entire system. Yep. And this would be one of those situations where you're like, man, what what do you do in the— in, it's frustrating that you find and the pain is on his face that he's in a situation where he has to do that sort of stuff. And I yeah, totally feel that. Um, the line, I share my dreams with ghosts. Mm. That, that is, that is Shakespearean to me. Yeah, it is. It's just, this whole thing. I just, it, just even in looking at it, I, I thought to myself, God, I kind of want to like, I kind of want to use this as a monologue for stuff, <laughs> you know, for auditions, because <laughs> it's pretty short and it's pretty good, and you ha- you can do a range of things. But just he, what a what a what a heartbreaking and perfect depiction of loneliness. Yeah. The 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 idea of my mind is a sunless space, and I share my dreams with ghosts. Yep. He he almost wouldn't have needed to say anything else because that is I've sacrificed everything because I'm with dead people. Yep. Agreed. It's beautiful heartbreaking I, and beautiful I, I don't want to to taint it by saying if he is a jedi he might actually be talking with those ghosts but the it is because i like the image better that mm. it's he he he's alone and even his relationship with the woman who works in his his art shop yes yeah, that doesn't seem very warm no it's it's a it, that's a business that's a transactional relationship yeah She's a hundred percent anxiety when she walks in the door, <laughs> because yeah, and 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 so is Mon Mothma when when she's with him. You know, you get the vibe that he's as much of a a, a reckless terrorist as Saul Guerrero when they sit down together. Yeah. It's oh man, these guys are kindred spirits here. We didn't even mention that dialogue that that scene very well composed to kind of express the heart of what's going on behind the scenes. It just yeah, I agree. It's so, and it's two guys just bullshitting each other too. It's, where where exactly they're just right. lying, and it's so great. And they both know, you know, it's it's so good. And they're both two top notch actors. So thrilling. That whole speech ends with. You'll stay with me, Lonnie. I need all the heroes I can get. And it cuts to Andor and Melshi running into a horizon shot that looked very similar to, dare we say, some two sons. But thank God it's not on Tatooine because I'm tired of it. <laughs> God. Yeah, but yes, I agree. A gorgeous end of an episode. There's two more, right? 
and there's two more. So I imagine we'll we'll do our next episode. We'll get uh, TJ on, and he can fill in all the gaps we may have missed. <laughs> but where's he, to, where's I, he today? I'm not. He's a. It's his anniversary today. Oh, so couldn't make it. <laughs> I guess I'll let it slide, but I think we can answer his. Just, just to say, I, I, I am willing to answer his question from the last episode and say, "Is this Star Wars?" You're damn right it is. Yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right it is. Because Star Wars, as much as it is about laser swords and all the other things that he said, what Star Wars is actually about is hope in places where hope shouldn't exist. And dear God Almighty, <laughs> like this, yeah. this, this whole show, but particularly this last episode is a, is a masterclass in proving that point. True. It doesn't happen in Rogue One, but it does happen in both of the first two seasons of the Mandalorian. And I'm trying to think of anything else, but uh, Mandalorian doesn't have a ton of Jedi going on until the last, but the last episode, the force powers show up. Um, so in the first, yeah, first season you see Grogu repelling the fire and uh and obviously in the second season Luke shows up there's some I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't enter a little of that angle this is a total footnote but the guy that Andor is running with is a character named Melshi Melshi is in Rogue One um he's one of the other rebels and I didn't recognize him until you know I heard that it was the same actor quick look it up it's like oh yeah and in rogue one he's got like scruffy you know he looks like a a soldier (laughs) in this he's clean shaven (laughs) prisoner so it's the guy who uh is always much more rebellious than all the rest that andy circus like throws against the wall at one point and uh anyway he ends up in rogue one the Melshi character is part of the convoy oh, that, yeah. that rescues Jen Urso, and he's a character. Well, I suppose everybody dies in Rogue One, but he's, he's yep. he, he dies on the battlefield in Rogue One. So having some backstory to a character like that, uh, I thought that was really tasteful as well. Especially since I didn't realize it, and I imagine since I was going to say they're showing them running off, it's going to be valuable. Oh, that's yeah. I didn't notice that at all. That's brilliant. Good for them. I suppose since it's just the two of them, there's kind of a uh, I don't know if this works, but felt there felt like a Frodo and Sam kind of element to like you had so many people escaping that prison, but it was really just the two of them in that very final scene. And uh, I don't know since we know some of where they're going, it kind of had that heart for me. Yeah, one hundred percent. Bang. Last words on uh, on this arc. No, nothing real prolific other than just to say I, I think it was this was a hard this would be a hard thing to try to execute and and man did they do it it could have been so you know prison escape and that type of hope can be could be so accidentally cheesy and uninspiring and it, and and there was no moment where I was rolling my eyes you know talking about standing up to fascism and what that looks like could be so eye rolly and 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 it wasn't it it's not like they're just they're just knocking they're just they're just knocking down all the the pins they need to knock down here and it's killer agreed i'm super jazzed to see where they land this i i i normally am filled with anxiety when it comes to the end of shows <laughs> as we as we know like so many times shows can just lose it at the end and i just feel none of that i feel nothing but anticipation for for how they're going to end this. It's also the case. Same. I, I suppose I love that they have said it's two seasons and that's it. Yeah, I, me too. If if this was going to be a six season thing, I, I think I would be like, oh, okay. 
I, I love the show. I would love to see more of this. But what I actually want them to do is to nail 22, 24 episodes. Yeah. And then it affects everything else. Well, because yeah, cause, it's so cause you're well building, you're, it's a finite thing because you're building to an existing story. It's got, yeah. to, it's got to stop at some point. But even more, this is true. Uh, even more so, the, what I imagine is going to be some universal recognition of brilliance and this is what we want and please <laughs> create more properties with this philosophy yeah. behind them. I, I imagine this is going to infect a lot of the DNA of Star Wars and may even infect the DNA of Marvel. Um, if it, you know, if, if, if this is continues to be as good as it does, like if, if, if X-Men was less comedy Avengers style, but if they decided to kind of pivot with X-Men and make it a little darker in ways that this is, I would much prefer that, you know, than the, the light. I don't know if you, if you go down that road, but as they bring them into the MCU, that's going to need to be a decision. X-Men is one of those things that I'm going to struggle to be brief on it because because I the X Men I think I believe really was my gateway into comic book stuff as a as a pretty little kid so I could mm-hmm. I could talk for a while about this but I think the X Men is so fun because it kind of can work as both it can be real funny and it can also be extremely dark and I actually think that's the most compelling storytelling for me is that I don't like when things are just comedies I don't like when they're just dark because I think. There should be darkness in comedy, and there should be comedy in darkness. Sure. Like, like the, the best example to point to is Shakespeare. Shakespeare's tragedies need to... There are moments of comedy in Shakespearean tragedies, and you must lean into them to make the tragedy all the more tragic. Right. And the same with the Shakespearean comedies. Twelfth Night begins with a shipwreck and a funeral, and like you've got to lean into that for the rest of the comedy to work through the rest of that play. And I think those are the best stories, but ones that just try to do one or the other, I think are fine. I, I suppose I agree on that front. The, I suppose my favorite X-Men is days future past and the menace of the villain yeah. in that movie feels a, a lot like this in terms of the tone and the not stopping, you know, power that's chasing you. I'll be. I would love to revisit this conversation with you yeah. after you see. Um, what well, we have it off mic for everybody's sake, but um, after you see Wakanda Forever, because sure. I actually think tonally they got what we're talking about here. Oh, in good. in my opinion. So I would be. I'd be very interested to um, hear what you have to think. But oh, that's good. The, and I suppose to piggyback on on some of that, just the 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 realism that's that's here. It's not that the MCU doesn't have realism but i think there's an extra measure for the x-men they've gotten pretty fantastical oh yeah in a lot of the mcu obviously with time travel and all the rest but the um bringing it back a little bit and i I think this really works Mm -hmm. so all right man well that's what i got friends as said earlier take a listen to some of our early episodes see if you can when jump into the rest of the work that we're doing and if you have enjoyed this podcast it would mean the world to us if you shared it with people that you care about. The only way that this is going to be able to continue going really is if, if, if we get some listeners. So mm-hmm. um, it would mean the world to us as well if you take just two seconds and give us some stars on the iTunes or Spotify. And uh, you can always connect with us on the Twitter as long as we stick around. I've been hinting at 
and and pretty close to cutting yeah all uses of the twitter so i need a new social media platform perhaps you got you got a recommendation on where we we should uh take up shop i i am still on twitter for the time being um for a lot of the reasons that i said in this episode of i think i mean I think sticking around it and, and trying to be a force for good in places. I mean, again, Twitter is one person on the internet, maybe who cares? And it just might be sort of diluted idealism on my part. Um, I, I'm, so I'm going to stay on Twitter for the time being. So if you want to, if you want to say things to me, you can, and I might respond. <laughs> the Atlantic this week ran a really good article about the death of social media that, um, I'd recommend people read. I thought it was fascinating. So part of me oh. thinks maybe we shouldn't be on social media. Uh, do we have an email address? Send us an email. <laughs> I'll read an email. I'll figure this out. We do have a website. It's StarWarsBinge.com, I think. There you go. That's what I got. You got anything else, Daniel? Nope. He's Daniel Mothershed. You survived the fire swamp. You must be very brave. But nobody withstands the machine. I share, comp- I share company with ghosts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And I'm Jeff Cook. I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. You know why, Daniel? <laughs> because, huh, because this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. <laughs> All right. That's good. Uh, that'll cut down to an hour 15. And... You're listening to the Grand Army of the Republic broadcast, the voice of the Outer Rim.